Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. We'll we'll fix it. Come on, Neil. Have something in your bag. Come on, E. Come on. Help me! Such a beautiful place. The U.S. Sunset. I'll be happy to be with you, friend. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C., and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Excuse me, Toby. Would you mind stop dying right now? Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, hello, and welcome to the show. And uh, of course, joining me is he's not dead yet. It's Mr. Dave AC. <laughs> Hank is at the ready, everyone. Hank is at the ready. Hi, Liam. Yeah, Dave's about to speak. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, it's good to have you along, Dave. And uh, let's see who else might bring tears to our eyes today. Uh, anything's possible with this, gentlemen. It's Mr. Dar Skeptical. Hello, sir. Oh, yes. I like to write the songs that make the young girls cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, lock up your daughters now. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yep. Also joining us on the video, Mr. Randall Thor. Hello, Mike. Why, hello there. And let's go back to normal there. Hello, everyone. <laughs> no, go back to normal. <laughs> As, yes, I'm back to normal now. Excellent. All right, also joining us on audio, Rick Wall is here. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Glad hello, I'll hello. be along. I was just about to read my own name out there. That's how I'm used to being logged in as myself. Dave <laughs> <laughs> controls today, so I'm not used to seeing my name in the list. I was like, the sixth time. Oh, wait, that's me. <laughs> you joining us. Also, joining us. Kobo is here. Hello, Kobo. Hey, and how are you? I have, I have a new TV, and I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> my wife, my wife just came in to inform me that she's got the settings perfect now. It's 
My job, damn it. <laughs> My job. Anyway. His job is to be cuddly. And joining us, Mr. Cuddly Ken. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. I want to thank everyone for this award. It's just an emotional day. Oh, goodness. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I just don't know who to, exactly to thank. I want to thank um, my publicist. I want to thank my... Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, this is cult, cult am I, I, oh, never mind. No, oh, it's good to be here, I guess. Would you would, would you put the ashtray down and you know leave the mental piece alone? <laughs> okay, I'll take. I'll and take your beds. I'll I'll take the tiara off. <laughs> they like me. They really like me. No, we don't. <laughs> Do I got to give the roses back? Yes. Yes. All give right. <laughs> okay, Ian, you give them to Megan then. <laughs> there you go. No, she's already got a TV by the looks of things. I know, you're doing <laughs> good. Like I did. Good to be here today. Yeah. <laughs> Hanky at the ready. It's funny, actually. You know, I, I kind of joke about her setting up the, the TV, but she was the one pushing me to go on Colton today. It's kind of interesting. She comes mm. up with the idea of getting a new TV, and now I'm locked in his room. Hmm. She's smart. I think she likes having a new TV. <laughs> Supposed to be nice. But I'm home. good now. Nothing. <laughs> A TV. I don't know. It's new. It's a toy. I like to play. Shall we play a game? <clears throat> anyway, let's lower the code and see who's under it. Controls. New agent training program. Section 3.5. The Cone of Silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the Cone of Silence. What? Do not shout in the Cone of Silence. What? In fact, don't even use the Cone of Silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And it's a solitary cone, uh, only manned by Cybob. But that's all right. It's 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 his domain. The domain of the Cybob. There you go. But I'm sure we'll have some guests joining us later who'll uh, irritate him somewhat, and he'll poke them with a stick. It'll be just like tears in the rain. <laughs> Yeah, somebody else we usually have to poke with a stick to wake up. Sitting in his typewriter, it's the Typing Monkey. It's news time. Go, Typing Monkey, go! Go! <laughs> and there he goes. There he goes. Bye! Alrighty. First up, first up with news. Well, actually, only person up with news. You have some too, don't you, Dave? Yeah, little bits. Okay, first up with news, though, it's Mr. Darth Skeptical. Wait a minute, I got news? How'd that happen? I don't know, but... Uh... You said you oh, yeah, hey! When we started, you said you, you did You told news. us you did! Uh, uh, that's right, hey, those of you who have, for whatever reason, put off on buying any IDD, IDW comics for Doctor Who, this is your time! Because, you know, they've lost the license... So the only thing they can really do with their product is sort of do a fire sale, more or less. But they're doing it for a good cause. If you go to HumbleBundle.com, that's H-U-M-B-L-E-B-U-N-D-L-E.com, and look at their books bundle. So you could do, if you want to, HumbleBundle.com backslash books. You can pay whatever you want. And you'll get tons and tons of IDW content. You basically get the entirety of their output, except for what? Uh, the 
the Star Trek crossover is not a part of this. But basically, you go in there, you say what you want to pay for it, then you get a key to download it, and you get them all. I think the minimum you have to pay to get everything is $15 right now, I think. Um, I pay 20 I got everything. And then, not only do you get that, you also get uh, Doctor Who Legacy content. You unlock all of the Doctors. So think about that for a minute, if you play Doctor Who Legacy at all, and increasingly people are, because it's kind of a fun little game. Uh, it's really quite an astounding deal. You're never going to get better. It's worldwide available. Uh, so, you know, this is your last chance to see what the ID, IDW run of Doctor Who was like. And, uh, you know, you can buy it in segmented parts if you'd like. If you don't want to get the entirety, because maybe you already own parts of it, uh, you can just buy it by series. So there were three Doctor Who, um, well, three series that were actually called Doctor Who. There was the, the first, um, like, David Tennant run, and then there was sort of season one of uh, Matt Smith, and then there was season two of Matt Smith, more or less. Uh, and then, what the hell else? Oh, and then you can get the entirety of last year's run, which was this, you know, 12-issue thing of uh, Doctor Who Prisoners of Time, which used every single Doctor. It was sort of a 50th anniversary story where each issue had different Doctors in it. Um, and you can get the very last comic. Hmm? And every companion. I can't verify that. I don't. I don't know that it has every companion. Does it have every single companion? Like Katarina's in there, really? I, I'm not sure about that. I believe it so. Most, most of it has most of them. And my other comment for the Prisoners okay. of Time is is give it a read because the the character who turns out to be the mastermind behind all of this, it's amusing. I I laughed quite a bit at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoil it. it. It is a neat little conclusion. That's true. Uh, but anyway, the great thing, and, and the thing is, it um, you get to determine how much of your donation goes to charity, how much of it goes to IDW is sort of a, you know, I guess a ex post facto sale for them, uh, and how much of it goes to Humble Bundle itself is sort of a tip for hosting the thing. Um and the two major charities involved are the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is actually kind of really important for the comic book industry. Uh, and Amen. And, and neatly, a really cool tie-in, the one that I gave all my money to, because <laughs> I've already given to Comic Book Legal Defense Fund separately, is um, Doctors Without Borders, which I thought was very cool. Um, great, great charity. Uh, and. I, I've actually seen their field work in Africa before. It's just amazing stuff. Um, so great way to support Doctor Who. Great way to uh, collect these comics that pretty soon are going to be pretty hard to get, um, I think. Um, and they're doing a pretty brisk business. They've they've sold about 30, 000, to 30,000 different customers at this point, and that's only been in a few days. So that's good stuff. Right. Um, just, just to clarify, uh, these come as digital mm. copies. There's no, there's no packaging cost right. on top yeah. of that. No, 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 no. There's no sale. There's no um, hard copy. 
There's no handling, no nothing like that. It is just digital. It is. I the the weird thing is, and this is interesting. The little wrinkle is that the the Doctor Who Legacy thing is advertised on the site as only applying to the Android version, but that's not true. It does, in fact, apply to the iOS version as well. Um, but it's just not it's not labeled that way, and it's kind of funky because it's set up to be a lot easier through the Android version. But it'll it'll work on iOS, so don't worry if you got an iPad, you're fine. Um, so good stuff. Oh, and the other the other great thing about it is, um, l- let's say that you download it to your I don't know Android device, and your wife or whatever has a um, iOS device. You can freely share it with her or him or whoever um, in your family because it's DRM-free. Now, that doesn't mean go out and share it with everybody in the world, but you know it's reasonable that within your family unit, go ahead and share it with whoever you got. That, that seems to be the implication of the, the site. So that's good. And then on the other news, this is, that's the outgoing licensee. The incoming licensee, of course, is Titan Books. And if you go, sorry, Titan Comics, which is, you know, the comics imprint of Titan Books. If you go to TitanComics.com, man, their site is just 100% Doctor Who right now. Or at least the homepage is very Doctor Who heavy because they've just released a couple of trailers, interestingly. Trailers for comic books. Um, And they look really good. I mean, the interior artwork that they've shown, not much of it, but if you freeze frame and look a little bit, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so go over there, look at the trailers. There's trailers for the 11th Doctor series and the 10th Doctor series. Obviously nothing yet on the 12th Doctor series. But what's interesting is in this little announcement, they have actually sort of confirmed one detail, and that is that they're not starting the 12th Doctor run until the 12th Doctor starts on TV. But what's interesting about the way that the statement is phrased is it makes you think that the moment that it starts, they're launching the other series. Could be wrong about that, but remember, until June, is it June or July? I forget, whatever. Um, For a little bit of time here, if you go to TitanComics.com and you subscribe in advance, you get a massive discount. Um, And Dave, for you, interesting thing is, because of the way the license works, it's just like the IDW license, um, you cannot buy, in Britain or Ireland, physical copies. You have to buy it digitally. Right. And that, of course, is because the primary license for comics in Great Britain and Ireland goes to Doctor Who magazine. Um, but for you, that's a good deal in a way because it means you get to pay for the, the cheaper version of it, really. Uh, but it is global otherwise, and you have the option to choose between getting it downloaded or getting it um, as a physical copy. The postage is fairly considerable. I'll just tell you that right now. So it's maybe not worth taking that big of a punt on something where the postage is approaches in some parts of the world the cost of the magazine itself. You might want to seriously if you live in you know Hong Kong, which we know that some Doctor Who fans do, uh, you probably want to think about just getting the digital version and not even trying for the uh, very expensive postage on the physical copy. But there you go. Anybody know any uh, good digital comic book readers for the PC? Sorry, what was that? 
anybody know any good digital comic book readers for the PC? Still uh, missing a word or two there, I think. Any comic book, uh, digital comic book things for the PC? Yeah. Oh, you mean readers? readers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you can apply through Comixology, which is now part of, I guess, Amazon or something. Uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they give you a reader with that. I might be wrong about that, but I thought they did. Um, it, it, it should must, be too I mean, that must be something I, I, I to go the wrong guy. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's, uh, it's pretty easy. Uh, so I know if you got, I, I'll tell you this much: if you go to comicsology.com, I am one hundred percent positive they must tell you there what some recommended readers are, because otherwise, you know, how do they get their content to you? There are you know. there are Kindle emulators and stuff too for the PC, so you can download the oh, Kindle yeah? versions and read them. Yeah, Perry's here. Nice. Perry's nice. here. Yes. But anyway, the great news is now it looks like we have a lot more clarity on the situation with uh, Doctor Who Comics. You know, a a nice, graceful swan song for IDW. The incoming Titan books. The only thing we don't really know that much about is um, what's going to happen with this final, more or less, year of Matt Smith comics in Doctor Who magazine. Um, we don't have, I don't think we have a date yet for the final collection of those comics. So it's a little bit still up in the air on that. And I guess the reason that's up in the air is because if they were to tell you right now, when they were delivering that, that trade paperback, that's going to include all these last Matt Smith things, uh, then of course that would be giving away when the start of season eight is. So right, they yeah. can't tell you that, really. Um, but because, you know, the history of Doctor Who magazine, pretty much you can track it is the when a new doctor comes in, the comic strip featuring him starts the months after that um, debut happens. So let's say that for whatever reason, let's just pick a date. Let's pick the bank holiday in August, which would be August the 23rd, which is my personal belief as to the date of starting um, New Doctor Who. Uh, That would be at the end of a, well, you know, Doctor Who magazine actually publishes 13 times a year, so it's not monthly, it's four-weekly. But the 23rd is more or less um, the end of a four-weekly period. So my guess is that you you would start to see the Peter Capaldi, let's say, the very first week of September. Whichever ep- issue of Doctor Who magazine is closest to the first of September, that's when it would start. If indeed it starts on the twenty third of August, um, so there's it, there's basically no way that they could tell us what the release date is on the trade paperback with the final Matt Smith issues before Peter Capaldi actually takes his bow. So, thank you. Other than that. Other than that, very well sorted out in terms of comics now. Much better than we were. I think we were faffing around in January or something trying to figure out what the hell was going on, but now it's pretty clear what's going on. Also, i got to say, again, really go see those trailers over at Titan Comics because the the, uh, the artwork is really stunning. If you're, I know a lot of people were sort of critical of the sometimes experimental art that happened with IDW, but man – 
this art that is coming up is going to be pretty magnificent if it stays at the level it looks that beautiful. It looks beautiful. is being previewed. Uh, and, and just the fact that they're doing painted covers, uh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know how long they'll keep up the painted covers because that costs a bit of money. Uh, but it looks it looks pretty stunning. Darth, I want clarification. Um, so UK comic shops are not allowed to sell this? Absolutely not. Not at all? Okay. That would, that would be a violation of the license with um, BBC Worldwide. Okay. okay. Yeah. Because the way that the license is structured, roughly, I mean, this is not, I'm sure, exact legal language or whatever, but they have um, BBC Worldwide. Well, see, I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. If you're talking about the territory of Great Britain and Ireland, I don't know if who has the purse strings there is worldwide or if it is just BBC. I, I guess it could be either. I, I guess it's worldwide because it's still a profit-making thing. So let's say it's worldwide. They have given a license for uh, the Doctor Who magazine to be kind of the uh, the adult comic strip or the, at least the you know late-teen adult comic strip. And then right. on top of that, then they've given a license for a younger version of the comic strip, or one aimed at a younger audience, a below 10-year-old audience, to Doctor Who Adventures. And that's it. That's where you're locked off in Britain. You can't right. really get in under that in any other way. Uh, so the license um, to the rest of the world is, is then something that now is handled kind of singly. It didn't used to be this way, because it was possible to break up that license further instead of just saying the rest of the world, it was possible to say, well, here's an American license, here's an Australian license, here's right. a Canadian license, whatever. But now this license is, seems to be very clearly the rest of the world. Um, so that might give Titan, because Titan has a really big global presence. That's one of the reasons they, that Worldwide probably went with them. It's not it, They have a bigger presence than like DC or whatever, because um, Titan just has a lot of publications that are already going on around the world in different languages. So now they can just push this this content in, have a letterer, a local letterer put it into the language of, you know, put it in Swedish or Finnish or whatever and boom, they've got content yeah. immediately. Um but I don't know how that's going to work. It's interesting because I, I know that Titan does that with some or did that with with Disney properties. They were the ones that were in most parts of the world kind of between them and there was another company that was sort of doing Disney properties too. And they, they would literally push, you know, a, a particular language version out in print. Right. Uh, but that was a, at a time before there was widespread availability of essentially iBooks. iBooks is the thing that's making the revolution kind of. Um, and, and, and so I think now what's going to happen is you're going to have, the English version worldwide available, but I I think that the print version is still going to be localized. I don't know. Really? Okay. It'll oh, be interesting. Added book. information to this: the mm. writers of Prisoners of Time and the Doctor Who Star Trek comic IDW, they're going to mm. be joining us in Colton. I'm arranging an interview with Scott and David Tipton, who are doing the comic version of City on the Edge of Forever uh, with Harlan Ellison. So that'll be coming mm. up sometime in June, arranging that with Dave and Ian. 
and mm-hmm. myself. So that's cool because uh, Prisoners is very good. Prisoners, uh, Prisoners has mixed reviews. To be to be completely fair, there are a number of reviews where it said it started out great, sagged in the middle, and has an interesting end. Uh, but there are a lot of people who don't who really think that around six doctors, seven doctors, something like that, it flags until the very end episode. So who knows? Well, different artists on each issue too. It gives it a mix a mixed bag on that. Um, I think my favorite of the IDW. I'm forgetting the title now. It's it's the other one with all the doctors. They put in a trade paperback. Um, oh, the Forsaken. Yeah, yeah. Forsaken. That was I think very nice. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, I. That that it, I you know, now that you said that, I actually think that is not a part of this bundle that we were talking about. That one either. isn't. Yeah. I think it's not. I could be wrong. Um, Tony Lee. Well, Tony Lee yeah. and and, and uh, Pia Guerra, at least Pia Guerra for a part of it before she had yeah. falling out with him. Um, but yeah, I don't think it is. But they they uh-huh. claim that there's more coming in this. That this might not be the only iteration. But that's about all they've got left to to shoot with. Well, I guess they have the very first part of the David Tennant run, which is called Agent Provocateur. Yeah. Uh, that was written by Gary Russell. That uh, does not appear to be a part of this either. But see, th- this bundle is talking about the the comic that was actually known as Doctor Who. Um, technically, I guess Agent Provocateur was a vi- originally called Doctor Who, but then it was very quickly... Uh, reimagined as a six-episode limited series called Agent Provocateur. Um, But what this sale is about is about, uh, you know, the the comic that was simply called Doctor Who and is their main ongoing comic. Um, So it doesn't include things like... uh, Doctor Who Classic. Certainly not Doctor Who Classic. That's completely outside the thing because that's not an original IDW. In terms of original IDW stuff, it doesn't include... Uh, a fairy tale life, which was a like right. four issue limited miniseries with the eleventh Doctor and Amy. Uh, it doesn't include the uh, Forsaken or Agent Provocateur. Uh, any kind of limited that, miniseries. That Ice Warrior one that was done by Richard Starking. I think. I right? think that might be. Uh, you're maybe right. There, oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't include the. Um, all those comics that are a part of what is the collected? I think the collected thing is through Adventures in Time and Space or something yeah. like that, yeah. which is uh, like Many some really the Ben Templesmith amazing artwork for uh, the Whispering Gallery. Uh, it doesn't include, as you say, that the Ice Warrior thing that is a Donna episode. There's another Donna thing, and it's not in there. There's some one-off little uh, Black Death, White Life, I think is what it's called, or maybe it's the opposite or whatever. It doesn't include the one-shots yeah, or the limited series. It just includes the things that are you know, called Doctor Who. Plus, if you give them $15, uh, if you pay at least $15, you also get... Doctor Who Prisoners in Time and The Girl Who Loved Doctor Who. So you can get that. Yeah, but you're so cool. Um, but yeah, there's still some stuff on the table, I suppose. But still, this is the quickest, cheapest way that you're going to find to catch up on IDW before it becomes relatively more difficult 
to find IDW stuff. Okay, great, guys. Uh, should mention, by the way, that um, at least one of those video trailers for the comics is on the Colton Collective site, and Perry very kindly has put uh, links in to videos of both the 10th and 11th Doctor trailers, and um, also for Kobo there, there's the link to five best desktop comic book readers, so thank you, Perry, for that. And for those people just joining in the, the call, uh, I'll allow text chat in a moment. We're just uh, finishing off our news segment. Um, Ian, do you want to mention anything from uh, the Recovered Episodes thing? Yes, I do. Um, also posted on uh, the Cotton Collective uh, Facebook page, plus the DoctorWhoNews.net site. It's a small video, I think it's about uh, five minutes in length, um, briefly covers some of the work they did after recovering uh, Enemy of the World and the Web of Fear. Uh, one of the best bits about it um, is there's a uh, a bit where they they're finally you know pulling all the film into the computer and starting to watch the first episode of Enemy of the World and uh, the the first, the opening scene pops up on the screen and uh, and somebody gives a little cheer in the background and you know, talk about tear jerking moments I almost lost it at that because. Um, I think it was uh, Stephen Chapansky asked on on Twitter after they tweeted about this video going up. Um, they said, "Was that the first time anybody had seen that since the film was lost?" And uh, Paul Venice said, uh, "Yes, it was." So that little cheer was just you know the sheer joy of you know of what they actually had. I mean, you know, <laughs> and they knew what they had. It's just. You know, the, the seeing it going on the screen and going into the computer and, you know, recovering it, I just think that's a neat little moment. I wish, actually, that uh, they'd made something more out of this, uh, this little documentary. You know, it's a tiny, you know, five-minute thing, but it'd be lovely if they did, a you know, an in-depth thing. I'd, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see, like, from the time that they found the cans and, you know, all the way through and, you know, um, all the painstaking work they do, so you could appreciate it even more. But yeah, what, so what, the what link I mean? is. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, go on. You find the link. Uh, uh, what I was saying is, when I was watching the little video, I was surprised at the actual aspect ratio of uh, the screen, because obviously TV then had uh, quite a lot of overscan, up to twenty percent. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot more off the edge, and of course. When people bought the DVDs, I mean, for this is you got the DVD of the Aztecs. Uh, you saw, you know, the the fight with uh, Ian and uh, one of the Aztecs. And as the the, the camera pans round, you see, you know, uh, the set disappear and supporting things, structures and that, which of course never would have been seen on the TVs of the time because it would have been in this safe area overscan. But it almost looked to, to me as though they could have taking a, a 16 by 9 copy out of that uh, that video he's looking at. Right. There seems to be an awful... Of course, I suppose the point is that there'll be certain shots that are done on film, some in the studio, and it probably jumps around a bit between the different aspect ratios. Yeah. Yep, so... Uh, so, yeah, that's there. Like I said, it's on the DoctorWhoNews.net site. Um and it's also on our Facebook page. Well, it, uh, it also enjoy. back then depends on what uh, format it 
that the uh, VHS or the the tape is in uh, because you uh, in uh, England at the no, time no, they, guys these were using probably silly. No, no, no. scan and we're using uh, no 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 the, these were these were films where they had a, a monitor in the studio with a film camera projected at it and these were actually films they they filmed the monitor uh, a high quality in-house monitor that was coming direct feed from the cameras so the, the direct feeds coming to the to the as far as I understand it anyway the directors uh, mixing desk going to this uh, monitor that was uh, you know it cost probably ten thousand pounds and they're actually filming that uh, monitor screen uh, unless somebody else can you know disabuse me of that thought that's how I believe it was done. So it was on film. You see him splicing film in the clip. It's not on. It's not on videotape. It's not on the two-inch videotapes that the that were lost for the actual. Uh, it, this is from the actual one that was done to send abroad. Okay. Well, yeah. They, I mean, why why would anybody think that it's from the master videotape? Master videotape has been gone for. Four decades. I mean, in that sense, all there is no surviving episode until Spearhead from Space Part One. I mean, all of the stuff from the everything that's black and white is a lost episode. Still, all you're seeing is the cleaned up version of a, a by by today's standards relatively poor transfer. Uh, in which the a you know 16 mil camera in most cases is pointed directly at a video screen showing the master tape. So you're looking at a really you know jacked up kind of uh, transfer copy. Um, so the the and that and that's why because because of the the nature of the video recording um, or the I guess you'd call it formally the telerecording process of uh, capturing a video image onto 16 mil film because that's so jacked up that's why there is the need for vidfire because vidfire comes back in and approximates what video might have looked like um, had the video still been around but you know it's it's all fake you know, there, there is nothing real from the 1960s. Not really. There's no, there's no. I'm so, sorry, I'm speaking really imprecisely. There's no first generation copy of anything until Spearhead from Space Episode One. Right. Although I would, I would say the Enemy of the World and uh, the other one, the 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 web one, uh, the the on DVD they look remarkably good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I mean it looks great. But I mean, don't forget to that to have gotten to that place. You've had to do a lot of funky processes. Oh, yeah. uh, it's yeah. not. It's not at all. You know what it would be like. Well, I mean, it's, to say it's not what it would be like if you just transferred directly from videotape is not fair. It's it's a very close approximation, but it is an approximation. It is a, a computer models approximation of what would have happened. Right. Uh, I mean, quite both those had uh, quite a, a few sections of actual film work in them as well so whether they were able to to cut to the film sections back in if you know what i mean no because what they would have done there is 
the the film sections were going to be edited into the um the videotape, right? And, and the way that happens is you take a video camera and point it at the film, right? So you uh, so you've lost quality there on on the initial transfer into your videotape, and then you're having later a telerecording of that videotape. So with the film parts, you're actually you know a few steps back, a few steps three generations back, just just on the telerecording. You know, and then you know you're transferring the telerecording digitally, and you know messing around with it after that. Um, which is, you know, all this makes it sound like that what you're getting is crap. That's not what I'm saying at all. Obviously, we all know from buying '60s era Doctor Who that uh, it's fairly remarkable that we have it at all, and that most of the time it looks great, and that with these particular ones, they look extraordinary. I think that they mm. they, they must have taken more care with these just because. Probably never just personally excited by them, right? I mean, because they hadn't seen them. It's not like, you know, Tim of the Cybermen, oh my God, I've heard that some of these people that work for um, the restoration team are just so bored of Tim of the Cybermen because they've seen it so many times, right? Um, but this would have been, you know, fresh material. They would have also not had too much on their docket because they've come to the end of their run, really, on Doctor Who, kind of. Um, so. It's kind of, um, I'm sure that they put in a lot more care, maybe, or had time to put in the care. And and that was certainly borne out and justified by the incredible sales they had on iTunes. But the iTunes ones, let's remember, they are not the cleaned up ones, right? I mean, there is an actual reason to buy the DVD ones, because they are cleaner. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, okay. on that note, um, yeah. uh, Mike mentioned in the, in the text chat, too, that uh, Enemy of the World is released on DVD this week here in the States. Oh, thank you. Yep, pick it up. And as I was saying before, thanks to Tim Jury for uh, for posting that uh, that link uh, to this little video and into uh, uh, our Facebook page. The only, the only problem with that video thing is, is there's just not enough of it, you know. <laughs> They need to be a little bit longer. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, I've got a little little bit of spoilers about Doctor Who, so um, Darth may want to duck out for just a second or two. I, I will put in the text when when I'm done. Anybody else uh, who... Uh, it's going to be about, about a minute long. Um well, it's all right for me, because um, Naomi Campbell's on TV on the uh, awards at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yes. Um, where's my little my little sound clip? So, as, as soon as you hear uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, we'll we'll get going with a spoiler. Spoiler alert. There you go. All right. Um, this is actually an interesting little. Uh, um, not, well, it's not rumor. It came from Stephen Moffat um, about uh, returning to uh, an old haunt for the Doctor. Uh, apparently, uh, they are going to be filming on Lanzarote, which is funny because I was watching Planet of Fire this weekend. Um, and the, the other interesting thing about that is, is uh, uh, Fiona Cummings said that uh, it, it had been not exactly difficult for them to get you know uh, access to, to, to film on Lanzarote, but. You know, they were they were very particular about you know what was said about Lanzarote, um, the fact that it was supposed to be to double for somewhere else, but Lanzarote said no, could it, could, it, could please be Lanzarote because um, we really like that. Um, 
But the intercoming made the comment of like, oh, you'd never be able to film here uh, in this day. This, and this is the the, the uh, documentary was uh, done in 2010. So uh, skip ahead four years later, and uh, yeah, Stephen Moffat uh, has said that uh, the Doctor is going to be returning um, to, to Lanzarote. Um, and some things have changed since he was last there. So whether that means we're talking about um, about going back to, to Saren, who knows? Um, and and why would it be going back to Saren? So, yep, that's 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 all the uh, spoiler I've got. Um, it's not a whole heck of a lot, but it is interesting. So, all right, I will now sound the oil oil clear, <laughs> <laughs> the oil clear. Um, so, Dave, you have some news. Yeah, uh, just putting that in for... Th- uh, yeah, just a couple of things, and I'll be very brief now, because we've been going 40 minutes already. Some podcasts were stopping at this point. <laughs> Let's just say, uh, as you heard me interrupt in there, uh, the BAFTAs, uh, the television BAFTAs, uh, on TV here in the UK now. So lots of things. And the other thing I'm just going to mention briefly is that because uh, of the change in the rules, uh, programmes that didn't actually air on UK TV, main TV, like... Um, Breaking Bad and House of Cards are allowed to be in the nominations this year. So um, lots of things. And I'll put, again, the link in the room to that. And again, I don't really want to start a long conversation, but the only other thing is that, um, and we've mentioned it before, the the Star Wars uh, day one filming begins on the BBC page. Anyway, dated the 16th of May, which was Friday, um, it was uh, the Star Wars franchise began shooting production, um, and uh, I, I, unless anybody really wants to talk about that, I'll just leave that there as a statement, leaving it hanging ominously in the air. There you go. <clears throat> ominous, ominous. Right. Oh, that about that about wraps it up for news. Right. I, I guess the only thing left to tell you is. Um, how you can join us and um here's tigs to tell you if you enjoy listening why not join the collective and participate yourself we're on talk show call id 54821 call in on 724-444-7444 this is a u.s number area code 724 so do check your calling plan before dialing in if you have a sit client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Hello, I'm the Spine from Steam Powered Giraffe. And I'm Rabbit from Steam Powered Giraffe. And you're listening to the Coltham Collective. Be sure to check out our new album, MK3, now available at our website, www.steampowergiraffe.com. There you have it. Hopefully I'll be seeing Steam Power Giraffe soon and maybe catching up with them for another interview or two. Great new video, by the way. Oh, yes. Yes, they got a new video out where they do a cover of, uh, what's the name of that song? Bigger, Stronger, Faster, uh... Faster, stronger, bigger. Yeah, uh, was it Daft Punk? It's a cover of Daft Punk. So. Yeah. Um, but it's it's quite well done. I love it. Uh, I love it. All right. I now hand you over to Mr. Dave AC for our full-on tear-jerking 
uh, <laughs> main topic, which anyway Excellent. we usually cover by this point after an hour's worth of news is usually tear tracking. <laughs> oh, that's still going. <laughs> Why don't they stop? I'm overclipped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Uh, we've got a, an IO9 list to to look at, um, and it's although the title in the room you see there says 50 in science fiction because of some glaring omissions pointed out by the people that can comment on this site. Um, it's been renamed on the page. 20 science fiction moments that will make absolutely anyone cry. Now, they're not seem to be ranked, so we're not going sort of 20 up to 1. I think we just start at 1. But prior to me just doing that, um, Harry G, who's with us in the room, uh, says he hasn't got along with us. And since this is not really a strict in order list, uh, Perry, without sort of seeming to jump on you and uh, discomforting you in that sense, um, if, you, if you've only got sort of 10 or 15 minutes or whatever... Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure a... how long I have, but I may have to go suddenly. Well, do you, want, do you want to pick out one or two of the ones that you would, um, you would mm-hmm. have uh, wanted to comment on? Um, yeah, I was just scrolling down the list a few minutes ago. I think... Um, Probably the the one that sticks out most to me would be uh, number 16, uh, Futurama Jurassic Bark. I thought that was a um, particularly poignant um, moment for that show. In particular, I can't remember any other episodes that are quite that sad. Um, I'm not sure if everybody is familiar with Futurama, but... Um, you know, Phil, Phil, Philip Fry is a thousand years in the future, and spoiler alert. Um, basically they. <laughs> spoiler alert! Yes. So they, they, they find his. Well, they they find they find his dog. Um, um, I'm trying to remember how they found his dog actually at the moment. Oh, in a museum. Who is somehow preserved, and they were going to use his DNA to rein, basically reincarnate his dog, and it's all about the memories of um, Fry and, and and his dog, and um, <clears throat> and it's kind of sad because it's sort of Fry leaves, you know, suddenly on um, on, on December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, and. Um, it's sort of told from the dog's point of view and how the dog um, waited for him for a long time. It is very. It turns out to be very sad, <laughs> and um, and the ending is is uh, sort of ironic, I guess, because Fry decides not to reincarnate the dog out of respect for his memory, and and then it turns out the dog was basically waiting. He thought the dog went on to live a full life after he after he had gone, but it turns out the dog had just sat at the same spot on the sidewalk waiting for Fry to come back the whole time. Oh. It's quite sad. Quite cruel, really. So it was a great episode. Great episode. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that was quite sad. Anybody else want to comment on that one before Perry mentions any of his others? Okay. Uh, audio. <laughs> He's the only guy I know who's a huge fan. Right. Yeah, uh, I think I'm probably the biggest Futurama fan in here. I don't know. No, <laughs> I am. I just don't want to comment because of what happened two weeks ago. Right. Oh, oh really? Enough. I'm sorry. I didn't know about that, Rick. Well, 
Yeah, Rick's spending most of his day outside the tree at the front of his lawn. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, well, I won't dwell on that. Waiting out the, uh, waiting at the door for her. Yeah. Oh wow. Well, best we move on then. Um, yeah. <laughs> to another one. Next. <laughs> I suppose the only oh, other know. one. Yeah, quick, What's let's my, go. Uncomfortable silences are, are real bad. Yeah, my, no, my I Mike's written something. Uh, a subtitle on the title sequence of a later. Future Armour episode read, this is not the Jurassic Park episode. Okay, go on, Perry, sorry. I, I suppose the other... Well, I'll mention one other one, and um, and then I think maybe you should move on to somebody else. But I was going to say number nine, the one on Star Trek The Next Generation, The Inner Light. That's one of my favorite episodes yeah. of Star Trek The Next Generation of all time. Um and oh. I thought that was particularly poignant as well, the one where Picard um, basically well, lives a second life. Let me play the clip from that then. I'm and, sure you have uh, galore. Yeah. Here we go. What is it they're launching? You know about it, Father. You've already seen it. Seen it? What are you talking about? I haven't seen any missile. Yes, you have, old friend. Don't you remember? just before you came here. We hoped our probe would encounter someone in the future. Someone who could be a teacher. Someone who could tell the others about us. Oh, it's me. Beam has ceased, Commander. The probe is shut down. There you are, Perry. Does that help? Take the hanky away. Oh yeah, sure. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure um, most of us are familiar with this this episode. So, I've, but um, I don't know. I just, I just, I just found that one to be particularly good and um, and emotional, I guess, because of of the family that he creates in this. Um, on in this sort of inner well, I don't know, on on this planet 
where he thinks he's living and um, how he's basically saying goodbye to this family because, you know, the the son is going to um, go supernova or something, I forget. And um, anyway, I just, thought, I just thought it was particularly good and well acted. Yeah, mm. it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, we mentioned the name, didn't we? The Inner Light. The Inner Light, yeah. What a cool way to do, like, a a time capsule, you know? Yeah, and and the the final scene where, you know, they found the the recorder on the probe and they bring it in. Yeah, because playing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was cool. Anybody else like that episode? Yep. Come in then, Ritwell. Uh, you, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of, um, um, you know, people's um, uh, um, uh, feelings of deja vu and stuff. You know, like you know, you feel uh, uh, when you go somewhere that you've lived in other places and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of liked that, you know, and, and it turns out that more or less he did. And he didn't realize it. Um, you know, till, till they find the recorder and stuff like that. And, and he, you know, that he actually well, I don't know if he actually did, but, uh, you know, he, he lived to, uh, quote-unquote, uh, what he thought he did. Right. Uh, we had a similar theme. Run- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a similar theme running the, um, the Doctor Who story, didn't we? The uh, uh, Human Nature Family of Blood, where um, with, the, uh, with the nurse, the school nurse, the matron, uh, at one point, uh, they touch just as the the doctor came out, and they basically we assume because they seem to both have the shared experience of that that they get married, they have children, and uh, and within a, a blink of an eye, uh, to pick a Star Trek expression, they um, they have a a, a complete uh, marriage and life together. I'm trying to remember if there's any other ones like that. I mean, I know uh, in in the Star Trek world, Data. Um, on the next generation, he had a holographic family, but that was rather different, wasn't it? Because he was he was doing that on the sort of um, on his downtime, wasn't he? And of course, Ian, you'll probably think of Janeway with with her one, but but they were encapsulated in this sort of uh, very small moment of time. Right. Yeah. Anybody uh, else? Uh, also, oh, oh. It also, when oh. uh, generations didn't Picard have like a, a family in uh, uh, when he first went through the uh, oh in the movie yes yeah uh, right when they were in the, the, the fantasy Christmas yeah yes yeah. Uh, a wonderful episode um, hearkening mentioning Doctor Who human nature. That that that's a thematic uh, device used in the in the, the novel Last Temptation of Christ, uh, very boldly. That Christ sees what it would be like if he lived life as a man, never went on the cross, never did that. That's the whole controversial thing about that book, and that was the thing about the Doctor. Uh, 
that got me misty-eyed just hearing those those scenes from Inner Light. I uh, can just hear that flute music uh, uh, played and that kind of jerk sense memory uh, to it. It's, it's such a well-done episode, and Patrick Stewart does a remarkable job of acting in it. It's really, really good. Now, is that the one where he actually learned to play? I can't remember. He actually learned to play the flute in that episode, yes. and he plays it again later on. And he plays uh, it. I, mean, I think that's the very last shot of the episode. They have him sitting there playing the flute in that, that mm-hmm. certain melody. Da, 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 da. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Uh, Jacques? I want Frere Jacques, was it? No. No, it was the one where um, they go to a planet and it's uh, unstable. No, the song, I, I mean. No, 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 no. The, the, yeah. The song, they, the fr- the song like, was Frere like, Jacques. What? No, no, no. It was it was a song. It was the same song he played in Inner Light. Inner Light, yeah. It, it's something was, indigenous uh, to that planet. It, yeah, it and might it, have the same. Uh, it might evoke that to you, Dave. But I don't. I don't think it is it, for Jacques. It, it was um, uh, like I said. It, they went to some planet, and he fell in love with a geologist, and she uh, ended up getting killed in an earthquake. Right. Right. Yeah, and because I'm a saying piano that, player, a keyboard player, whatever. Right, I'm saying that of course because of these French origins as well. Um, yeah. That would be a, a I mean, a, a French children's song would be the um, obvious yeah. one he'd learn. Okay, uh, Perry, do you want to bring any other ones up on your limited time? Perry. Well, perhaps assume Perry's just had to step away from the moment. So um, let's go, uh, while we wait to see if Perry does come back in audio, let's go back to the um, the top of the list here. Uh, and at number one, uh, this is from Supernatural, uh, the episode Pac-Man Fever. Charlie, Felicia Day, uh, goes to visit her dying mom one last time and reads The Hobbit to her. Uh, and if you can get through that scene without losing your uh, cool... Yeah, uh, <laughs> then there might be something wrong with you. And here's a short clip of that. I should say, when you're watching the video, a mother's all strapped up to life support 
and I don't, I haven't seen the episode, but the conclusion that I took from it is that at the end of the story, she's going to switch the, um, well, the doctors are going to switch off the life support. So that's the, the scene that uh, is unfolding with that music. I, realize, I didn't realise there was as little conversation in it. So I don't know whether, we're, with our limited number, there's anybody who's a, a fan of Supernatural and uh, can remember or recall that moment. And I'll just say to That's Perry, by the way... I mean to watch. I, I, when, I was, when I was stuck in hospital, I managed to watch a couple of episodes, but it actually seems very, very good. I just haven't had I think it's interesting having Felicia Day um, in the web series The Guild and also uh, Dr. Horrible. Plus, she was in, uh, I think, the last or second to last and last seasons of uh, Eureka. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So she's quite a... Makes you want to watch the episode. It's quite a geek as it is, so... <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to move through these and, and hand over to Ian in a bit when uh, when I get down a couple, but uh, let me do the next one and perhaps... <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 that's what I was thinking. You'd want to do that one. So at number two, I haven't got a clip for this one, but because um, uh, there was a lot of it where it was just riding him out on horseback because um, it's Excalibur. Uh, first, Arthur and Guinevere are reunited all too briefly. Then Merlin vanishes. And then the fall of Camelot, the death of all the people, the passing of a legend. The whole last act is incredibly sad. There was a long clip. Now, just remind me, Ian, the actor who's playing... Uh, uh, Arthur in this uh, uh, is it the actor from um, uh, the Doctor's Daughter? Yes. Um, playing, was he was he Merlin? Or? It is. Thank you, Ken. Ken, thank you. Most definitely. Well, I did well on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember when we, we, we did the Doctor's Daughter that um, people would say, "Oh, God, God, it's that," and I, I haven't got the actor to hand. I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, uh, and basically he he was sent. To, uh, the soldier was sent to uh, throw the sword into the lake. But he couldn't do it. Comes back and he's sent again. And then of course we have the the silent hand rising from the lake to accept the sword. So a very moving scene, but not a lot on audio to actually uh, to play for you. So have we got anybody who wants to comment? Yes, um, I love this love this movie. Um, a lot of touching moments, but um, big scene I would have is when uh, Arthur's totally destroyed as a human being, the land's withering, and then he's brought the Grail Cup, and he goes, "I'm not. I wasn't meant to live a man's life. I'm the stuff of future memory," and the land becomes blossoms. And the knights ride forth to face Mordred the last time, and they play a Carmina Burana in the background, and the land is blossoming, flowers. Incredibly beautiful scene, always chokes me up. But there's a scene right before the end where he visits Guinevere in the nunnery, and he says, uh, you were once my queen. I have a dream that once this life is over, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, and owe no more to being a king that you will come back to me. It is a dream I have. And it, it's so sweetly done. And uh, she's tearing up, dressed in her nun habit and, um, and older now. And, uh, 
it's it's really beautiful. Um, All right. Sorry, uh, the actor's ta- uh, Nigel Terry, and he's actually playing King Arthur. But I'm just looking at the, the cast here. Sherry We've got Lundy, he- uh, Helen, Helen Mirren, yeah. Morgana Le Fay, Morgana. Patrick Stewart. Yes. As then uh, King Lego de Grange. Liam de Grange. Liam Nielsen as Seguin. Gabriel Byrne as Uther Pendragon. Charlie Borman. Now, um, I didn't know Charlie Bowman was much of an actor because I always see him with um, uh, young Obi-Wan Kenobi in his motorbike programs, <laughs> The Long Way Around, things like that. Yeah, um, he's the director's son. Ah, right. Oh, there's some clever people about. And his daughter's in this too. She does a uh, a naughty dance in, you know, in the beginning. You know, he puts his yeah. children in films. He was, he was also in... Um, Right now, I'm blanking on, on the name of it. What, it was, on Charlie Borman? Yeah, with Powers Booth. And it's... Um, it's the Borman did it to following this. The Admiral Forrest. The Admiral Forrest, thank you. Yeah, he stars in that, too. And he did that after after Zardoz. Okay. Zardoz. Um, but um, Nicole Williamson... Is great in this, but it has the two or three scenes really, really kind of gets your eyes misty, and and the end is very operatic and sad, and and also beautiful where they're taking Arthur's body, the fates to Avalon at the end. I think it's it's the the best film I think on the Arthurian legend um, ever done. Okay, but uh, yeah, certainly a good cast. The whole thing is absolutely beautiful, and it's it's hard to take one tear-drinking moment out of that thing because there are several, several moments where you laugh and then you cry and then you laugh again and I could buy clearly about that film for hours. It is, like Ken said, the best Arthurian legend film there is. Right. It came out in 1981. So, uh, I mean, we've had other versions, haven't we? There was, there was a, a well, King Arthur with Sean Connery, and there's been a few other. Different variations. What's shocking about this? What's shocking about this film? Previous to this, every film on Arthur and Guinevere is kind of, you know, like the musical Camelot. It's lords and ladies, and there's chivalry. This is full-on brutality and nudity, and knights in these gigantic dreadnought things of armor that weighs them down. It's like they're almost dinosaurs. Or men in tanks moving. They're, uh, the uh, armor work on this film is really exceptional. Um, one of the greatest openings in a film, which is like streams of light in a forest, and you see Merlin and his staff, and the lights are just flowing out, and between the trees, all these men in horseback are riding, and it's, uh, you know, and dawn in prehistory, you know, before 
before uh, all of these warring, warring, uh, battling tribes against each other with, with no unity. And under the auspices of Merlin, uh, all these warring uh, factions in England get together under one banner, one king. And, it, and it's a, uh, to hold together a peace. And it's, it's just, unlike any movie I think that ever was done before that time, there's been others later like this, but, uh, you know, to have a Arthurian legend, where, I mean, Guinevere, you know, there, there are nude scenes between her and Lancelot. There is brutality. There are, there are heads being hacked off, like Lord of the Rings. In fact, uh, Borman was going to do a film of Lord of the Rings, uh, thinking of having Nicole Williamson uh, to play Gandalf. You know, previously this, that's why he did Zardoz instead. But this was, movie was originally going to be called Merlin, or Merlin Lives rather than Excalibur, a long history uh, to it. Yeah. Okay. All good points. Thank you very much indeed for that, Ken. Um, Ian, do you want me to play? I've got a clip for the third one. Do you want me to play it before you talk or what? Uh, no, I'll talk first. Uh, number three is one that I guess it's really kind of an unfair one because at the time I went to see this movie, you know, you're there with your mates, you know, uh, what came out in the 80s, it was probably, I think I was like 12, 84, whatever, 84, uh, I was, uh, I was 12, I got to think, it's like, okay, how do you how do you sit there with your mates and not cry? <laughs> it's really unfair to kids. Uh, <laughs> but uh, number three is um, uh, when uh, from the Neverending Story, when Atreus' horse Artex um, basically comes to a complete stop in the in the swamps of sadness and and starts sinking, and you know uh, Atreus trying to do everything to get Artex to, to to move and get out, and you know Artex is just like nope, too sad. And it's it it's tough. Um, and what they say in here too is, um, uh, Trey's horse Artex gets swallowed by, uh, swallowed up by the swamps of sadness, and so do we. Uh, but really, the whole movie is a nonstop tearjerker. The one of the other scenes from it too is, is it's really kind of gets me every time. Is uh, uh, you're introduced at the beginning to, to um, three little sub characters. Uh, uh, this little guy and his his racing snail this bat-type character, um, and this huge, huge, giant um, rock biter. Um, and later on, you come across the rock biter, and, um, and I think it's Bastion is, is, is talking to them, or, or, um, or, or Atreyu, and he's just sitting there going, these look like such good, strong hands, but I couldn't hold on to them. And it's just like, oh, man... <laughs> So go ahead and play the clip there. Here we go. Come on, Artex. What's the matter? It's wrong. Come on, boy. What's the matter? I understand. It's too difficult for 
Give Ian a moment to compose himself. <laughs> uh, I watched it earlier, so I steeled myself for the moment. <laughs> but yeah, it is. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a neat moment too because um, it sets up. I mean, the whole thing about the swamps of sadness is that you know if you let the swamps get to you, you'll get dragged down into the swamps and basically killed if you let the sadness hold on. So in uh, in killing off Artex. Um, it makes Atreus so much stronger as a character because not only does he have to fight against the sadness of the swamps, he has to fight against the, the, the having lost his best friend. Um, and so it's it, it's really a kind of a cool moment. It's a great movie. I love I love at least the first movie is I love the first uh, uh, Never Ending Story. Um, it's just a, a great movie. Um, and this is, you know, just one of those scenes. It's like, no, when it's coming up, you know it's coming. The end of the swamp, you're like, no, not going to watch. So I don't know if anybody else feels the same way. But... It was a really moving scene when I was watching it. I mean, I think I remember having to watch it with the kids a long time ago. But, uh, yeah. Long, long time ago. A very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a never-ending weepy rather than a never-ending story. Anyway, other guys in the room. Beautifully realized, beautifully realized fantasy. I mean, I mean, going like the whole history, and I mean, some of these can be really treacly. The look of it, it seems reminiscent to me of Alexander Cordes' Thief of Baghdad, the classic film. I mean, the, the princess at the end, and just the way the... I, I forget, it's kind of the flying dog uh, creature. <laughs> you know the name. It's just really imaginative, hands-on special effects. It's pre-digital. And, Elcor, the luck dragon. Yeah, and just, it really evokes uh, a feeling of worlds of fantasy. Mm. Uh, only other things that maybe get to that, I mean, Dark Crystal has that feeling. Mm. But Dark Crystal doesn't bring you in emotionally. Uh, in the same way. Dark Crystal, I mean, I love, but it's kind of an aloof feeling. I mean, there are nice moments, but but it it doesn't warm the heart the way this one does. And this also has that Wizard of Oz element that the fantasy worlds are reflecting to the real world. You know, him and his father, uh, played by The Flash, by the way, in the old series. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. A nice, yeah. nice, nice job. Uh, doing that, and you you have a male child actor who is not annoying, <laughs> who you know, which, which you know, um, no Hathaway, I think, yeah, yeah, playing Bastian Balthazar, yeah, a little too much about that world of yeah. story, <laughs> yeah, I mean he's not annoying here, and does does a very good job. The sequels I never paid any attention to. I heard they weren't really worth time. The second one's all right. I don't. I think I gave up after the second one. Yeah. Um, because they they recast um, Bastion for the second one, of course, because it's been quite a while. Mm. Um, and 
I think they actually they recast everything. They recast the trade as well. Um, so it, it you know it loses something when you know when you're doing these kid movies and then you don't follow up up like real quick with. Chug my memory, Ian. Who's the director? Oh, um, another ending story. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wolfgang Peterson. Okay, yeah, yeah, this was the man who did Dust Boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a man who does very very serious films, different types of films. So this this is this is very interesting. That did Outbreak, Enemy Mine, Air Force One, Perfect Storm, Troy, Poseidon. Those are yeah, the very credits. Good. Troy's excellent. I mean, well, I like that. Um, Enemy Mine is is one that I think is always a favorite. That should this maybe be on here for being a tearjerker. Oh I would yeah, say. yeah. I would, I would say on there. When, oh. Yeah, you know, for that, the that, that's definitely going to be on there. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's very very interesting, good director. You know, for what he did with the. That's Dennis Quaid, uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. And it's the one where the Geordie Ford, LaForge tried to have a similar story, didn't they? In uh, yeah. Star Trek Next Generation, they, they played a homage to it with him on the planet with a with a, with a soldier from a, or a crew member from another race. And they had to sort of work together to survive. It's kind of a takeoff on a Lee Marvin to Shiro Mifune film. That was done years back with a uh, American officer and a Japanese officer trapped on an island well, together. Uh, uh, just going back to this main film, the young lad, uh, well, the actor Noah Hathaway, uh, also turned was played boxy in the original uh, TV series Battlestar Galactica. But he doesn't seem to have done a lot more. We forgive him <laughs> for this. Uh, Neverending Story has the best theme song, as sung by Lamal. <laughs> Love Lamal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, anybody else want to come in on this one? Uh, we're, we're sort of not going around the room, just asking people to pop their heads up when they've got something to say. Perry's still in the room with us, but I've got a feeling that he's stepped away from the microphone. Well, I'll take that as to no, move I'm on here to... right now. Oh, brilliant. Use him while he's here. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I'm here, you... but it's been a long time since I've seen NeverEnding Story. I want to see it again now. <laughs> I want to go see oh, yeah. it. It's on Blu-ray. <laughs> like it's I, agree, I agree with Enemy Mine, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why, enemy, why I think that, that should be there. Line is not in here, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, perhaps yeah. I haven't read all the comments mm-hmm. at the bottom, and perhaps somebody else suggests it. Mm. Well, the interesting thing is, is they, had, they, they, they embarrassingly had to add five more to this list, as they've said, you know, because <laughs> they had forgotten some really obvious ones. So it could be in there somewhere. I'm okay. kind of confused by this list as we get to the top, because I see a picture of Sam and... The, uh, the last the Lord of the Rings film. No, not Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Last Lord of the Rings film. He's not on the list? Am I, am I missing that? Or I don't understand. Is that supposed to be. Why is that the top of the list if he's not on the list? 
No, they're on the list. It's number 14. Yep. Oh, that's crap. Break it up. Which number is he in? I, I'm, oh, yeah, uh, 14. Oh, that's crap. I don't think they're, they're not yeah. in any particular order. I don't think it's going by any particular order. It's just... No. It's just not there. They just, they just pick but it out. I, I, guess I, I guess I must have missed that, since we're already somehow at number three. I don't know how. But anyway... Um, so we started the, uh, jumping around uh, at one and... No, no, oh. no, because they're not in any order, after Perry had his... Because oh, we didn't know whether he could stay... Uh, we went. We started at the top because they they don't seem to be oh, building up. Oh, so we're going. I get you. Down. So we're going in reverse order. Okay. After we moved all the way up number three, I'm like, I just went to the bathroom, man. What the hell happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that the list is, is by any priority of greatness. Or, yeah, no, or there's no like rank. Uh, 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 all right. The, okay. What we did <laughs> and that's further down the list. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We knew we went to the bathroom. We we're like, okay. When he gets back, we'll just <laughs> screw it up. <laughs> and we'll back my finger. All right, then. That makes more sense. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen never in the story, nor do I even vaguely care to. So. Oh, awesome. uh, okay, well, let, let, let's move through a couple and stop me when you want to buy one. At number four, mm-hmm. it's The Last Unicorn. Uh, Prince... Liar, is that L-I-R speech? Is incredibly moving, but so is a ton of other stuff in Peter S. Beagle's book. Uh, Beagle is a master of characterization and storytelling, and he creates a beautiful fable that sticks with you. Uh, and uh, there was obviously a film of it, it mentions the book the there, but there is... The film was in 1982. Again. Um... Uh, looks an animated one, of course, uh, starring Alan Arkin, yeah. Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, doing the voice mm-hmm. work. Wow. So uh, I don't know whether anybody's familiar enough to comment, uh, and if not, Ian, will perhaps move us on to number four. I don't know that I would put it on my top list of emotionally affecting moments. I mean. It's, it's good. It's just not the greatest thing in the world. Right. I suppose it depends on some movies may have lots of uh, may have lots of small moments like that, and some may just have one all-out very poignant scene, and uh, it's a balance of that. Anyway, go on in. Okay. Uh, number five, Full Metal Alchemist, uh, towards the end of. Uh uh, manga. Alphonse sacrifices his life to get his brother Edward's original arm back for the final battle. In faith, Aaron Hicks uh, says it's a major weepy moment. Where's Mike when we we need him? I would say, I would say the very beginning of Full is sadder than than that because the whole reason um, Ed's in the armor in the first place is because they're two boys trying to bring their mother back to life. So what could be more tear-jerking than that? Right. 
Anyone else? <laughs> and Mike just says, well, hey, I tuned back during the Full Moon of Alchemist discussion. Yeah, where are you, man? <laughs> yeah, if you want to come back on audio, Mike, we'll yeah, he perfectly... Says, yeah, Mike says, uh, what was it? Episode 2 of the original Fullman and Alchemist series. Uh, sad episode. Right. Well, if you're not coming back in, we're going to move on. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I have to leave soon. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, number okay. six. We three. Grant Morrison's graphic novel about cyborg animals on the run will break uh, <laughs> pretty much anyone who reads it. Without giving too much away. Spoiler alert! It doesn't turn out too well for all three of the creatures. And their weird broken English makes the whole thing just that more affecting. So sad. I'm not even familiar with that. Anyone here? No, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah. We3. If you're interested, (laughs) We3. All right. Number seven. Doomsday Book by Connie Wells. Uh, this book is full of super sad moments, but especially some of, uh, some of the ending. Uh, it says Christopher Cerveso, uh, um, near the end, the scene in which uh, Rosamund finally succumbs, yeah, when that apple rolled across the floor, I utterly lost it. Devastating. Oh my God, yes. Oh I don't know how to have to cry during the course of the book, and I'm only about halfway through it. So, uh, yeah. Sad, mm. sad. That's sad. Some of the stuff, it's like, it's the, the only odd thing about a list like this. If you haven't seen stuff and you are you have a propensity for, for for drawing at the the drop of a hat, it's like, do I really want to read this? Do I really want to watch this? Do I really want to know this? <laughs> and like, if I'm going to cry, I don't know if I'm going to go there. <laughs> and I don't have a propensity for crying. This book is just, Oh my God! It's like sadness. Sad. You know what I mean? Alrighty. Yep. Well, I'm gonna move swiftly onwards anyway because I don't think we've got anybody else on this one. Um, unless, uh, would you would you unmute uh, Ken, please? We looks like we lost him briefly. I did. Coming uh, back in. I did. I did once, and it Sorry. went back again. I'm back. He's back. It's about time. All right. Anything to add on the Doomsday Book? Yeah. No. Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. Number eight. What? What is the cry at this one? Uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. When E.T. and Elliot say goodbye for the final time, because E.T.'s finally going home, we defy you not to get all misty. Actually, I I would disagree with that. I. Uh, the bit where you get teary is when um, uh, you're going to operate on him or something spoiler alert spoiler spoiler alert (laughs) the bit I get all teary eyed at is when when E.T. dies um, and um, 
Elliot's trying to get to him. Uh, yeah. And he, he's like ripping stuff off of himself, and he's and they're holding him back, and he's screaming, and that that right there, that gets you, that 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 sends you over the edge. Going home's kind of cool. It's like, uh, yeah, he's going home. Cool. We're happy for him, you know. But, but when he when he dies, oh, that's just <laughs> yeah. Nope, <laughs> not going there now. <laughs> ruined my movie movie viewing on my new TV now. It's like I'm not watching ET again. <laughs> Do you want me to play the clip for this scene or not, Ian? Is there a lot of vocalization in it? Uh, yeah, it's really, I, I can cut it short, I think. Okay. I just wanted to say goodbye. There's no goodbye. Be good. I think actually all the rest is just music after that. Be good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can agree with any of that. I never was at all choked up by ET. I just, uh, you know, it sort of washed over me as a fair to middle movie. If you're talking about a Spielberg movie, uh, to me, the more emotionally affecting moment is in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where there's just this moment where Richard Dreyfus is obviously vindicated. <laughs> and at that nuts. moment, I, at that moment, I lose it because he's been under such tremendous pressure in the movie up to that point to try to prove his point. And he can't do it. And he can't do it. And he can't do it. And people think he's crazy and everything. And then all of a sudden he's not crazy. And at that moment, I kind of lose it a little bit. There's something about moments in film where the protagonist overcomes an initial obstacle that tends to make me a little weepy. I don't know why, but when it's, when it's a straight up moment that, you know, is designed to evoke your emotional uh, sympathy. Most of the time that doesn't work for me. Most of the time, sometimes it does. Like, you know, if Rose is separated from the doctor and banging up against a wall, that gets to me, you know, that's I said that carefully. But, yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, if it's a if it's a moment like in like in uh, Angels Take Manhattan, where it's engineered to make you feel quite emotionally affected by Amy's departure from the you know at the hands of the weeping angel, it doesn't do anything. You know, it doesn't do anything at all. It has to be. It has to be genuine. It has to be immediate. It has to be visceral in order for me to get on board. And I don't think there's anything in ET that is anywhere close to visceral. Really. I agree with you, Ian. I mean, I die fast because the more emotional scene between Rory and Amy for me was when older Amy was left outside the TARDIS. And she's up against the glass. Right. Uh, 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 I, 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 well, the thing I... Go on, sorry, Connor. And 
And she asked Sister Rory, if you love me, don't let me in. That episode choked me up so so bad. You know the thing that I'm talking about? Oh, it's only choked me up, choked me up once. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get that in the, that in the list, too. <laughs> what were you saying, Dave? I was just going to say about the uh, the Close Encounters one. That uh, I can't remember, although I suppose it's not a tear-jerking moment. I, I just love the uh, the music when they're communicating with the ship, you know, with the, the, with the five too. notes. I, um, I really got weepy with E.T. first time I saw it. I mean, I'm blubbering in the theater. I'm just, I just lose it. Over the, over the years, now nothing. And I, I appreciate the movie, but seeing the type of film it is, that it's, you know, it, it just doesn't get me anymore. On the other hand, Close Encounters, which I loved when it came out, chokes me up in a different way. The scene that gets me, besides the one Darth mentioned, Richard Dreyfus, which is beautiful of that about his vindication, is Francois Truffaut's character, Lacombe, when he's communicating with the leader of the aliens and that wonderful, beautific smile on his face and the smile being matched by the lead alien as he's communicating with him and that glorious music in the background and the lights, that does it to me. That just gets the tears streaming. Um, the big sin of omission and not having close encounters um, on this list um, a much, much better film, I think, than E.T. Uh, a great, great film. Uh, E.T., a.k.a. A Boy's Life, uh, a small, wonderful film, very emotional and really nifty in, in all the ways it is. But um, Close Encounters is like a big, brilliant, amazing, emotional film on a real, real human level with adults and it's, it's and kids and kids, the the love of uh, family and everything that, that that's really important and choices people make. Um, but but yeah, I I did lose it first time in the theater. I mean, I was I I remember being elbowed by the person next to me. I was just uh, tearing so much, like cut it out. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you'll set somebody else off. <laughs> actually, 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 you know who's really weeping over ET is Eminem Candy Company. Everybody know that story? <laughs> oh, they missed out. They ended up being recent. Yeah, they missed out. Yeah, they they went to them to use Eminem's in the film. They didn't want to be part of it. Boy, Reese's was happy <laughs> because in the novelization. It's M and M's. That's the candy that's listed. That's its name. It's like he says, "What is this? The food of the gods, of princes, of kings." And it's Reese's Pieces in the film and in the advertising forever, ever. So. Not in your mouth, not in your hand. Yeah. At the time when I saw the movie, I'd never heard of Reese's Pieces. Yeah. I didn't have them in in, in New Zealand. No, uh, not here. I don't know them. Okay, um, now we've already done number nine, uh, The Inner Light. 
have you got time to do number 10 before you have to leave here? Sure. Um, number 10, uh, the Iron Giant. Brad Bird, look out for that name. <laughs> Brad Bird's uh, movie version of Ted Hughes' classic children's book is just incredibly powerful stuff, especially the giant robot's final sacrifice, including the giant's line, I'm not a gun, and Superman. Did you have a clip for that, Dave? No, no. I've got a clip for the next one, Galaxy Quest. You can stick yeah. around for that. Yeah, it's a well-done movie, Iron Giant. I love it. That's great. I mean, you, you kind of... Start, you, I always start watching it and I forget about the book. You know, you just read the book all the time. And but it's just like... You start getting into it and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, crap. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's a weapon. And then he's not. And it's just... Great the kind of relationship they end up establishing between the boy and, and, and the robot. And it's just... You, you go along for the ride, you know. But if nobody else is along for the ride, we'll move on to number 11. Brilliant, brilliant film. We'll move on to number 11. <laughs> uh, okay. By the way, before we, because we passed over it and I wasn't here at the time. In the light, no way is that anywhere close to the best Star Trek emotional moment. I don't know what kind of crack people are smoking. Uh, <laughs> but that is just, that is, that is one of those stories that is deliberately designed to evoke emotion, and so therefore it doesn't work for me. I, I really don't even like the episode, much less am I uh, emotionally affected by it. I mean, for me, it's got to be something more more like the the moment where, you know, Kalar dies, right? The the grief that, that, that Worf lets escape after uh, his, you know, almost wife dies is just pretty phenomenal kind of stuff. Uh, the moment that... Um, I, I don't know. There, there are tons of other. The moment that uh, Dax comes back, and tell you one moment that just made me crazy was the first episode of series seven of Deep Space Nine, where Cisco's losing it. Right, he is beyond a little bit la la land. He's sitting there playing on the piano, and then Ezri Dax walks in for the first time and you realize, oh my God, this is Dax. Like and the and the the little the baseball falls off the piano. Oh, I love that moment. Um lots of other moments in Star Trek that are deeply, deeply emotionally effective, but but certainly not Inner Light, which is an episode designed to do nothing but wrench an emotion out of you and so therefore it's cheap. Yeah, I can see I can see your point. Yeah, how about when Lal dies? Oh yeah, that really does it for me. Yeah. <laughs> Lyle, welcome, no. welcome, Lyle, Lyle. Are you kidding me? No, no, I'm no not. Way. I'm not. <laughs> you gotta feel. Oh. You gotta okay. feel for Data. They don't. All yeah. these Data episodes are stupid because the the conceit of Data is dumb. Therefore, I mean. No, I, I tell you where I lost it for data. As, as far as uh, uh, where I lost it for data in terms of uh, respecting him emotionally is um, kind of kind of around that time. But where he has, uh, I don't know. I can't remember if it's before the Lyle thing or after the Lyle thing. But where he uh, has a relationship with a real woman and he tries to, you know, 
create subroutines to allow him to that I don't know, later. think of her as a date or whatever. I mean, just that whole thing. Actually, oh, when you know, she got dumped and he tries to make up to her. Make up for yeah, and it's like, well, obviously that wouldn't work because he's a damn machine. So therefore, what is the point of exploring the emotions? He is a machine. That is the point of his. And the, and to me, that episode just sort of confirmed that this whole thing that we were supposed to buy into of, uh, you know, from Encounter at Farpoint of oh, I'm like Pinocchio trying to be a real boy. That it was never going to happen. If it's never going to happen, what is the point of the whole exercise? I just well, I just hate data. I think it's a waste well, of time. Well, one point I'd bring to that is somewhere else further down, people have commented, one person suggested the bicentennial man, because in that case, of course, you've got a robot that, that wants to be human. And mm. I, I, there's a scene in that, again, all these are spoilers, where, where cool. he also then fights for the right to die. Um, and there's quite a, 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 sort of a parallel there. I thought that worked very well, but that was obviously uh, Bicentennial Man, different thing. You didn't find Measure of a Man moving, Doug? The initial time, yes, and I'll tell you why initially, because that's what, season two, right? Or season, yeah, no, it's season two. Uh, and at that point, I'm still believing there is a, an actual point to this character that somewhere down the line he is going to be genuinely emotional in some way and that the, the emotions are somehow not going to be delivered through electronics or whatever uh but you know once you i think once you get to the point where you see that he is not capable of actual emotion that's when the character is broken because you were sold one thing uh, to um, in encounter at far at far point where you're led to believe here is this guy who's going to try to make the journey to being more human, and then that journey is absolutely stopped when he hits a woman, <laughs> right? <laughs> when he, when he gets to the point of actually trying to engage with a woman beyond you know the experimentation with Yar, which is just kind of weird and freaky and dumb anyway. But I mean, when he really embarks upon trying to be with a woman and it doesn't work, that character is dead. The character is totally gone, and and it's it's sort of is confirmed too that the character is useless when he actually encounters Spock, right? Because the whole point of the character, in a way, is to be next generation's version of Spock, right? It's just slightly different angle, but basically the same thing. It's the the window into human endeavors, right? And when he actually encounters Spock, you realize how far superior Spock is as a character. So, and then, of course, the, the biggest abomination of all, and why, why Data is completely stripped of any kind of relevancy whatsoever, is ultimately a nemesis, right? I mean, in Nemesis, it becomes apparent that the the possibility exists that all you have to do is just build another shell, and then you can download the programs and the subroutines into the new shell, and that's data. Well, if you can do that, eh, character means nothing to me, you know. At least with like the Doctor, right on on Voyager, at least it's established there that. Although there are copies of the Doctor, none of them are actually the Doctor. The Doctor is unique, even if he looks like other versions of the Mark I, right? Whereas with Data, I don't think it's firmly established whatsoever that that character is unique. And that is 
at Brent Spiner's own hand, right? He committed character suicide in Nemesis by suggesting that this other brother, which had never existed before, could maybe possibly get the, the essence of Data downloaded into him and therefore become Data again. And then it's like, well, if that's all you have to do, what the hell is the point of the character, really? Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, you've actually put your finger on the point there in terms of uh, the, the the emotion only works for people if you've invested in the character. And, right. and if it's a character you don't invest in, then then you haven't got that that lever onto the emotions, have you? Exactly, yeah. Sorry, to counter that point, who's to say in a uh, hundred years' time we won't be able to download our, our brains onto our drive and get them into a working body? Would I be any less, any less me if I all of a sudden have a working body? I don't think so. Well, certainly that's something that's an emotional thing that you would, you will hope, uh, and 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 have a, what's the word? Um, yeah, uh, I mean, there's an awful lot of uh, literature and fiction and written about the possibilities of that, uh, all sorts of uh, possible scenarios. But I suppose okay. even within that, though, there there still can be individual. Uh, you know, non-human characters that you can either invest in or not. The very first clip I played in the opening that we'll, we'll go to later is, um, is again, we're all spoilers here, is the Harry Potter character, Dobby, uh, that um, people got very upset, many people got very upset about his passing, uh, just as much as if he was one of, you know, the main characters. But I can... Uh, the inside to also drop off, um, but um, yep. I mean, there are. There, I think the valid points, as I was trying to say, uh, when in answering to Darth, if you're invested in the character, then it has emotion and impact and so on. If you've already lost patience, our interest, our involvement with the character, then anything else looks like they're trying to manipulate your emotions. And if you, if you if you know people are trying to manipulate your emotions then quite often you put a sort of a wall up against it and it doesn't have that same effect. But well, that's I don't, You know what, Dave, that's interesting on that very point that you're making is that it is nevertheless possible to recover from a faux pas made with a character. For instance, it is easy, at least for me, and I maybe even, I might be able to say, include Ian in this. It, it, is, it is easy for me to dismiss Amy Pond. But there are nevertheless moments in Vincent and the Doctor, the girl who waited, maybe a couple of other places where the character actually does work really well and is able to elicit an emotion, um, especially in the girl who waited. Um, mm. it, it's just a matter of, you know, just because you've lost the, a particular audience member's attention on the character doesn't mean that you couldn't come back and figure it out. I mean, there was a way with Data. After you have that dating episode that he's in, there's still a way to salvage the character and to get the character back on the path of actually becoming what the character was supposed to be in season one. But for me, what you know breaks it is 
that's the point at which the character no longer is trying to do what he really said he was trying to do, you know? Um, so it, it's possible to recover, but you're, you're right. Most of the time, once you've lost interest in a character or a situation or whatever, it is awfully hard to get back on that train. Right. I mean, I suppose they did that with one episode of Data where um, he's delivering um, this um, radioactive material isn't he? in this village and uh, he's carrying this thing that says radioactive but doesn't know what it means and uh, he uses the metal inside to barter because the blacksmith uh, finds it very malleable and so on and then everybody gets ill and then they accuse him of bringing the illness and uh, he's got no memory so basically he's got nothing to draw on um, he doesn't, I'm, I'm not even sure he knows he's uh, uh, not human in the sense because it's only when he gets attacked and part of his face comes off that it, I'm not even sure at that point it's, it's only then that he realizes he's not he is a machine um, so I mean they tried a reset there didn't they with that particular episode but um, maybe we ought to move on because we, we, we have had a couple of people who had to just drop off because of uh, uh, the length we've been going, coming up to one hour, 50 minutes. So unless anybody wants to make um, a counterpoint to those things, let me uh, move us on to number 11, and let me play uh, a clip from Galaxy Quest. By Grabstar's hammer, Dr. Lazarus. Don't do that. I'm not kidding. I'm sorry, sir. I was only just... Don't. Yes, sir. All right, Quedek. Let's get back to the commander. I'm... I'm shot. stop it there uh, yeah the um, the great thing there of course is he had to recite this line after line and doesn't believe one little bit of it then at this particular point in the story he actually realises those those words have portent and meaning and he actually says them with some uh, you know some meaning to to this dying uh, crew member of course Galaxy Quest is um, 
is not serious science fiction, but uh, it says here on the page, just re-watch Galaxy Quest the other day because it was on TV. This movie is so good it makes me mad at all of the movies for not being it. Anyway, uh, the bit where Alexander finally says, by Grabthar's hammer, you will be avenged. Except that no longer the dumb catchphrase that he hates, but a heartfelt cry of grief and respect. Uh, now, I don't know if we've got any Galaxy Quest uh, members still on audio. Fans? If not, we, we, we'll certainly move along. And apologies to those people listening to the recording later. If we if we seem to spend 10 or 15 minutes on one that you're not so involved in and, and dismiss others, that's the thing about the collective. It's who comes on the show and their respective comments and thoughts. I'm hoping that um, Jeff might find one or two to comment on in a in a little while. At, um, maybe not the next one, because I don't think he's watched uh, one that comes in at number 11, and that is Angel. And um, this is um, uh, when Wesley uh, dies in Illyria's arms. That's uh, Fred who turns, or the body of Fred is taken over by Illyria. And she asks if he wants her to uh, to lie to him now. And she does. And is incredibly sweet and sad. Uh, the runner-up to this is uh, when Fred is lost forever in the hole in the world. And her last words are asking Wesley to tell her parents she wasn't afraid. And, uh, and then, why can't I stay? And then off she goes. Here's a little clip from uh, the scene where Wesley's just been uh, stamped and uh, is dying. There. And she turns back into Fred because she knows that uh, he's all has always loved Fred. So she allows the the body of Fred Fred to um, uh, show to him. Okay, thank you, Rick Wall. And Rick Wall has dropped off. So we're 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 um, we're running out of uh, well, we've got plenty of handkerchiefs running out of a few people. So. Um, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Buffy and Angel, more Buffy than Angel. Uh, I think Wesley's character and Fred's character had a lot of growth in the story. Uh, there was, um, for those who are not familiar with it, there's um, this is sort of uh, three-way love interest here because uh, they're both um, uh, Gunn and Wesley uh, 
fancy um, uh, Fred, and the, so there's um, a, an ongoing uh, love triangle there for a little bit. But this is quite late on, and Angel does move into some very, very dark uh, circles indeed. And there's quite a lot of uh, moments like that. Um, uh, I'm trying to think that. Like that is very curious, Dave. What in in, in this? Sorry. What yeah, I mean? What other? What do you what do you like it then Angel turns or Buffy turns? Um well there was I mean uh, the 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 one of the saddest things uh is the Buffy one really. Let me play a little clip of that. This is the one where again was, spoilers okay. Buffy comes home and um finds that uh, her mother has died and this is a, a non you know it's non-magical it's just real life and she doesn't know how to handle it I won't play it at all because I have played it before hey mum Lying motionless on a couch. Huh? Huh? Tommy? Mom. Mom. And it goes on from there. She has to phone the ambulance and also. Uh, is that one part that you remember, Kobo? I hadn't got there yet. Oh, crikey. Well, I did say spoilers. And we're, 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 I mean, doing all these different storylines, we're bound to have spoilers for people, so apologise if that's a major... Well, you don't know when and where it happens, but... Um... No, and thank God for that. Uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, we we did say that all the way along, that um, the very nature of these poignant moments is that, that they come like that. Let me move us on to number 13. Um, it's Wally. Uh, the bit where Wally has died and Evie's trying to revive him is, well, there are, pretty, there are pretty much no words because you don't need any. It's just perfect, say, the comments on the page. Now, I was never really a big fan of Wally. I watched it, but um, I thought it was cutesy and obviously it has those sad moments. I don't think I ever made it through to the end. I think I tried twice, never made it through. Although I do know uh, it's it's got a very high rating amongst many people. Is anybody here who wants to comment on that? Because um, we're going to move fairly smartly along as uh, we hit nearly the two-hour mark with just four of us now on audio. I don't okay. I know Ian would have commented on this one. Yeah, and I think if uh, Logan had been with us, he would have taken some time out on this. I think he was a big fan of this particular one. Uh, let's um, let's uh, move on then to um, number uh, 14. Uh, now, I haven't got a clip for this one. Uh, as I say, 
uh, I couldn't I couldn't get clips for all of them, and I, I apologise if I missed anybody's favourite bit. But this is 14 Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, which of course is the third of the three films. Uh, pretty much all Sam Frodo stuff towards the end, especially in the movie with uh, Sean Astin bringing his full acting power. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Sam, uh, was it Samwise McGee? And I don't mean to. And Sam carrying Frodo, which is the picture I think uh, Darth referred to at the uh, top of the page. Sam carrying Frodo, and then at the end, uh, you bow to no one. I mean, um, I, I remember watching a, an interview after the first film, and uh, the, the, the Sam character... Uh, you hadn't seen that much of him, but he he more and more became the heart of the story, in terms of the you know the uh, the the the, the stalwart behind the main character, and somebody was talking on trivia. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was Ian, so apologies if I don't attribute this right. But one of their favourite scenes was when in the Fellowship of the Ring, when they're all going to uh, they're all lined up, and of course the um, the hobbits are much smaller than the elves and the others. Uh, they all drop down to their height, um, you know, in in column, a common fellowship. And I think also the other people have commented about um, the the bit with the uh, I keep wanting to call him Mary, but it's Mary when Mary asks uh, Gandalf, you know, if things are going to be all right when they're waiting for the battle to start, uh, and there's a lovely speech that is given there. A lot of the lovely speeches are directly taken from the pages of the book. Right. And that's what I love about the films. Is <laughs> Peter Jackson did a gorgeous job bringing those films, bringing those movies to life for them. Okay. Um, Jeff, are you there in an audio? Are you with us on mic? Yes, I'm here, Dave. Would you be willing to uh, to to move us on to number fifteen? If that might be one you could comment on as well. Now let's see what number fifteen is. Star Trek Two. Uh, okay, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Spock's death scene, where he sacrifices himself to save the Enterprise and then pledges eternal friendship to Kirk, is incredibly affecting. But if that doesn't get you, the funeral scene totally will. Scotty plays the bagpipes, and Kirk speaks the eulogy, stumbling over the word human. Instant meltdown. i got to say, I I saw this in the theater um, about a week after it came out, and the whole theater was just crying. Uh, It was just an extremely emotional scene, for a character that tries not to portray his emotions. And uh, I, it was totally unexpected, at least for me. I, I had no idea that the Spock character was going to die in that film. And, uh, yeah, it, it really got to me. Uh, how about you, Dave? What did you yeah, think uh, of that? Jim, I have and always will be your friend. I think that's something along those lines. Yeah, very, very powerful statement. Uh, and, of course, we didn't know what happened prior to him um, with Dr. McCoy coming up and um, 
all that ensued. Uh, and without getting into spoilers about the, 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 the modern interpretation of Star Trek and the sort of switcheroo business, I'll just say that and no more. Um, I mean, this was very moving. And then we have, of course, the, the, the following on to that, which is, you know, um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and the needs of the one. Uh, yeah, um, very, very powerful. And, of course, we're in fairly early days. Many people, of course, uh, take Star Trek Two to be uh, one of the best of the movies. Quite a lot of people say that all the even-numbered ones are good, the two, four, and six of the original set. Um, uh, I'm sure there are lots of other um, uh, things. I mean, um, th you could argue in Star Trek Three, there's a very sad scene where, um, you know, we find out that Kirk has a son, uh, and then we have this this terraforming uh, thing as well, don't we? we the, no. There's losses there. Well, actually, we learned that he had a son in Star Trek Two. Ah, right. Sorry. That, that's where we, that's when we meet the character. But in Star Trek Three, I, I found that to be very emotional as well, because you in spoilers again. Um, at the end, you have kind of the reverse going on, where Spock is being reborn essentially. He's just had his memories put back into him, and he starts to remember. Um, Kirk and and being with the crew and uh, the starship and uh, and all of that and you have the lines kind of reversed with uh, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many which was kind of clever and another scene in that same movie Star Trek three um, that I found very powerful very emotional is when they destroyed the Enterprise to, to oh yes uh, that first time we saw you know the enterprise being destroyed i think in any version of star trek and it, it, that that was part of the crew essentially that was part of the you know the essential part of the show and to see it just burn up in the atmosphere of genesis was just extremely powerful right i mean uh, it shows how funny i am because one of my most emotional uh, uh memories of star trek <laughs> Actually, the very first one, where we spend about 20 minutes flying around the Enterprise in the dry dock. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, I never thought I'd see it on the large screen. To me, it was it was absolutely wonderful to see it in what then was actually breathtaking quality of picture. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was sort of, you know, this is this is. It's almost it was almost as though you'd arrived at the future from having watched you know stuff from the sixties and then you were seeing you know it it, it imagined and they're, they're in a little uh, maneuvering craft going round it and and seeing it uh, uh, really great. I mean, uh, you could argue that another emotional scene and uh, in that sort of level, not tearjerker, is from two thousand and one where we uh, you know we see the apes with the with the bone. Uh, on the planet, and then the, the the bone gets thrown up into the air, and then it changes into a uh, you know a spaceship, and and then we you know the um, the the beautiful music, the uh, the Strauss music, and mm -hmm. uh, things like that. I mean, but that's uplifting. I mean, things things that are, can be uplifting can be tearful as well as uh, sad moments. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I agree with you. 
Okay. Um, now, we did cover 16 prior to you coming in. We're going down the list, and uh, uh, that was because Perry only had a little bit of a time. So we have talked about future armour, uh, and I'm hoping that if you want to just be scooting back up the page for any that you really wanted to make a contribution on, please think about. But um, okay. do, you, do you want to make any mention of the future armour one before I go on to number 17? No, go ahead and go on. I don't think I've seen that. Okay, well, right. Uh, number 17 is from Blade Runner. Uh, and uh, this is a very, again, not human. It's a replicant. Uh, the Tears in Rain speech is one of the most badass moments in cinema. It's also incredibly sad because of Roy Batty's noble resignation after watching all his friends die. Uh, thanks to uh, Ron Coyote, is it? And everyone else who brought this one up. And uh, here's a little clip of that. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Very moving scene. There's a there's a, a just a happenstance of a a dove flying up into the sky, and he basically just goes motionless, and exactly as he says, his his tears uh, are indistinguishable from the the rain. So uh, I, I thought that was uh, a great uh, great moment. So, uh, yeah, fantastic movie too. Yeah. Okay, anybody else want to comment? Um, we've, As I mentioned, uh, Jeff, before we started going on in the UK, I'm not going to announce any of the results here because once we've done this recording, our recording goes up straight away. So people could hear this actually before they see it uh, in the news. But um, it looks like there's some good news for Doc 2 in what, at least one of their categories that there. But I'm sure those people can read in text what's being put in. So great, Dar. Thank you. Uh, I don't think we'll read any of that out, but um, yeah, I'm going to be watching that as soon as this is finished. It's recording. So let me move on to number 18. And um, it's Doctor Who. How appropriate when I've just said that uh, from Vincent and the Doctor. And um, this uh, is again, um, people brought this up, David Tennant, uh, Swan Song, Vincent and the Doctor, which is also incredibly turgid as well. But for my, oh, sorry. People brought up David Tennant's swan song. That's, of course, when he says, you know, I don't want to go, uh, which I think Ian would have nominated if he was still here. Uh, that was the one that really upset him, you know, when he has to let uh, Wilf 
out, you know, knocks four times and um, uh, because of the radiation and so on. But um, uh, for my money, it's the end of Vincent the Doctor, says the uh, list. And I can't remember if they've named the list compiler uh, Charlie Jane Anders. Uh, sorry for not mentioning that before. And uh, let's hear a little clip from that. Black. Yes. Uh, we met a few days ago. I, I asked you about the church and the verse. Where do you think Van Gogh rates in the history of art? Well, um, big question. Um, but to me, Van Gogh is the finest painter of the world. Certainly the most popular great painter of all time. The most beloved. His command of color, the most magnificent. He transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty. Pain is easy to portray, but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world, no one had ever done it before. Perhaps no one ever will again. To my mind, that strange, wild man who roamed the fields of Provence was not only the world's greatest artist, but also one of the greatest men who ever lived. Vincent, sorry. I'm sorry, is it too much? No, they are tears of joy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry about the beard. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm uh, okay until he says sorry about the beard, and then I just lose uh, it. And, and then there's the double take as well afterwards when you know you think, do I recognise that face? I mean, I'm not, I don't particularly agree that uh, he's necessarily the greatest painter that ever lived, but that's of course this this character's. Uh, I mean, he was uh, he was the uh, person in charge of uh, his dis, you know, his. Uh, Painting displays, so creator uh, was it not creator? What's the word? Cur- curator of uh, the the art gallery for his images. Uh, but I, I do love that. But uh, equally, uh, I love some of David Tennant's descriptive things of uh, talking about Gallifrey, the way he, uh, his eyes were still over, and the way he talks when in the uh, Doctor's Daughter and in Gridlock. Uh, uh, some some beautiful things, not necessarily sad, but certainly moving and evocative, and 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 you, it just takes you along with the emotion, and that emotional engagement is what what makes it, uh, which is why uh, there will be disagreement uh, with us on on these things because if you're not engaged, then 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 the, your your trigger's not flicked, as it were. Now another thing. In God. this particular episode, what is the blueness and the blackness and oh yes, yeah, the, the describing the sky and so on, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah that that I mean, I played that clip before, so I won't play that again. I mean, I think we've done enough with that. Uh, I noticed that uh, we might have uh, Ken coming back on. Don't know whether he's been moved to tears or moved to talk, but we'll see in a moment. Is that you, Hello, Ken? Yeah. I am. 
uh, I take it you've been in the room, so you've been listening. Is there anything you wanted to recently? Well, that I, did, just recently I, didn't hear, I didn't hear the last small bit. If you could just refresh me. Uh, well, we were just talking about um, the uh, the Tenth Doctor and some of his speeches and so on and so forth. Oh, uh, and well, uh, the um, the thing that Kobo was saying is not just the clip I played, but the bit where he's he's dis- where they're lying on the ground looking at the sky, Vincent and the Doctor, and he's describing how he sees the colours in the sky and the black upon black and blue upon blue and and so on. And uh, it's not a sad scene, and it's not you know it's not a death scene, but it, it's a scene that you 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 can engage with and 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 fear yeah. i mean one of the things they do say about uh, great speech makers are programs i mean there, there'll be many people here who, who may not have a very great interest in dinosaurs or they may not have any very great interest in gardening but if you get somebody who's got that passion and that knowledge and they can they can communicate that to you i mean david attenborough something like that talking about yeah. animals or, or whatever if they're if if Their inner passion can, coming out. Exactly, yeah. And, and that, uh, you, you can go along with them. You may never again go and look at that stuff, but they carry you along for the ride. Now, the scene oh. you were talking about is the 10th, not the 11th Doctor with Van Gogh, but the 10th Doctor. No. Ah, yes, yeah, sorry, that's where I mixed up. Yeah, I, I said, um, I, you're quite right, uh, I, I said that Ian wouldn't have picked this. He would have picked the, the I don't want to go, but you're quite right. That is the 10th Doctor, not the 11th Doctor, as with this. So thank you for picking me up. Now you can go again now. <laughs> yeah. oh. So, I mean, the scene you were discussing was the scene... Uh, Vin- the Vincent, the, the, yeah, where, where oh. the, uh, well, the, the... Yeah. That whole show is is full of things that are going to tug at the heart. I just him dealing with his condition, um, Amy relating to him and the, the sweetness of his flirtation with her, uh, that scene you wonderfully were, uh, were talking about when they're looking at the sky and about the colors and, and Vincent is, is, is telling it through his eyes and we, and we get the feeling of, you know, why are Van Gogh's paintings saw wash in color and dreams and magic and it's because he saw the world differently that that pain distilled something more remarkable to him inside and those words were showing that and uh, then then further still in that episode where he sees what his legacy is going to be that just first time it's like sense memory Every time I watch that episode, the tears fall, because there is such a beauty to that. Him, him hearing uh, what he's going to be, what he, what he'll be remembered as, what his artistry uh, will be after he lives, and that you know, even though he died penniless, alone, you know, in pain, uh, his his legacy is so remarkable. And that that's you know I I would say that he, he, even Mike, who has taken a turn to not enjoy the Eleventh uh, Doctor's episodes, 
that even even he still has a, a place in his heart for this episode. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair comment. I think uh, he would so, agree with that. You know, but uh, you know, just beautiful, beautiful episode. Beautiful episode. And while we're on the subject of the Doctor Who, during the last fifteen to twenty minutes of um, the fiftieth anniversary. There wasn't a dry in the theaters. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That beautiful scene where he's uh, there, the whole assemblage of doctors, and and looking upon, thinking upon Gallifrey. It just it was beautiful. And I mean that that episode had so much, you know, had um, you know the scene with Tom Baker, you know, the beauty of that. Yeah. That, uh, you know, a watch over, and uh, Tom Baker, with just a wink of his eye and a slight eyebrow raise, does more with a line reading than a thousand axes. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 we're tr- I think we need to sort of wrap up in about ten minutes, just to give you a fair warning, guys. Now, at number nineteen, I actually already played that clip. Um, it's from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the body. Uh, particularly the bits where Anya comes to grips with the concept of mortality for the first time. Uh, thanks to Ed Elks and everyone who else brought this up. And this is, of course, where uh, Buffy's dealing with death and destruction and and slaying, you know, on a day-by-day basis. But this is a real-world event, and this is a mother, and it just doesn't compute for her. But a, another very, very, and again, all spoilery, very, very... Um, uh, big deal was um, the 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 willow the willow story where um, uh, there's uh, one of one of the the guys comes in to shoot uh, into the house and um, he 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 shoots uh, Willow's girlfriend instead uh, and that's a very very uh, bad very emotional scene if oh. you've seen that. Um, it's been forever since I've seen that. Hmm? It's been forever since I've Oh, I spoiled it again for you. Well, again, it's uh, there's so many things. And, of course, would you believe it's... Um, I mean, it's nearly 20 years since she took up that role. I think it finished in uh, 2001 or whatever. Over t- 10 years ago, it finished... Um, very, very difficult to do this. But I hope you will stick with Buffy. I I really enjoyed it all the way through. Yeah, awful I will. Lot of stuff. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to move us on because I think we're, 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 we're dying a death of a thousand cuts here. So uh, at number 20, it's Terminator 2, the Judgment, uh, judgment Day. The T-8000 sacrifices its life with a final thumbs-up salute as he do- dissolves in molten steel. It's amazing how much you care about the death of a character as a villain in the first movie, thanks to the bond between John Connor and the Terminator this time round. Thanks uh, to the people who mentioned that. Yes, the, that's the one where the, the only way to actually ensure that um, the 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 chip can't be uh, recovered uh, and sort of reverse engineered, as it were, is for them to actually sink into the steel, it's a steel mill, isn't it, where they're having this big fight. Ken? Breaking up. 
No, I'm here. Yeah, we weren't making. If you were talking, we were, we couldn't get what you were saying. No, no, I was I wasn't talking. I was just listening intently. To you. Okay, okay. Well, um, the page. Let me just remind everybody of the page that we've been using. It's been the IO9. The page is listed as the 15 science fiction moments that will make you absolutely, and so on. Uh, but there are 20 and other ones mentioned. Um, Jeff, uh, I'm just checking. Um, I'm not too sure what that comment is there in text. Um, and uh, I'm not sure whether Jeff wants to come back in and mention on some of the ones he passed over. But um, are there any glaring errors for you, Ken, without going, just pick one or two if you've got many? Not glaring errors, but, but in talking of Lord of the Rings, I would go back to Fellowship of the Ring and the death of Boromir as being a very, very tear-jerker, uh, grab-a-hanky uh, moment in the whole trilogy. Sean Bean's performance is just amazing. And when he reaches out to Aragorn and said, I would have followed you, my king, I, I just lose it. Because here they've been at loggerheads and contesting uh, that Boromir have been contesting Aragorn's uh, strength and whether there needs to be anyone uh, to take the place of the stewards. And in this, he, he, he admits, freely admits uh, through his deeds and through his inner strength that he would have followed him uh, to Mordor and back, to hell and back, literally, you know, with his dying breath. And uh, it, it, it's a beautifully uh, done scene, and him and Viggo Mortensen uh, uh, handle it perfectly. And it, it never fails to just choke me up. And it's one of my favorite moments in uh, the entire film trilogy. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'll ask Coburn in a minute. Uh, I don't know whether I think uh, Darth and Jeff may not be able to come to the mic, but I'll give them opportunity to do so before we close. I mean, uh, lots of films. I mean, um, one of my films that I like, um, oh, crikey, it's just gone straight out of my head, City of Angels, um, which I like, which is a smoltzy yes. Meg Ryan and things like that. Uh, and there's a film where he's an angel and uh, he, he chooses to fall to become a human because he's fallen in love with Meg Ryan. And, um, and again, spoilers, uh, she, when he's having a shower, she decides to go shopping and there's a terrible accident. And, uh, you know, it's very, very emotional indeed. I mean, uh, there's quite a lot of things like, I mean, there must be lots of films. I'm looking briefly down the page to see, just in case uh, anybody wants to another come one, in before we end. Mine, not on, that's not on here. Uh, Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. Um they're, if they're a handkerchief, it, it's mostly kind of tears of kind of happiness because everything turns around at the end and the villain becomes heroic in there. He, he has a life-affirming moment. And the little boy at the end, when he he's able to juggle and uh, to say to Dr. Lau, he can do that. And these wonderful lines of Tony Randall that... Uh, saying, don't cry that I'm leaving, 
if you ever see a rainbow, if you ever see the wonder of the world, there you'll see the circus of Dr. Love. And beautiful, beautiful lines and the way the film ends always, always uh, gets me weepy. And it's, uh, it's a great, great film by George Powell. Uh, I mean, there are lots. I mean, quite a lot of people have put uh, video links at the bottom of this page, but they haven't put titles. So unless I actually play the video, I can't tell what the thing is. But I mean, uh, I'm going to just mention one more because I'm, uh, I'll start thinking of things and I don't want to do that. I mean, um, I think you, like me, Ken, are, uh, like musicals. And when I think of like West Side Story, um, oh. you know, the, the death scene in that, uh, there's some very sad, things in even in Oklahoma um yes. uh, l- lots of uh, sad things in in musicals as well um oh and uh, another film which, which you count as a fantasy film um it's um yeah we are on science fiction really so get back to the point yeah yeah um oh help me with the name of it i'm blanking for a moment Kevin Costner film about baseball. Oh, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, yes. If that film doesn't move someone both on, on the level of, of of fathers to sons and the nature of baseball itself and the way that that just that sport and the things of childhood can move one in life to affirm and to change people's lives, that film is a beautiful film, and that that always, always chokes me up on, on a lot of different levels when I watch it. I think it's a remarkable movie. Uh, Lady Hawk does that for me on a lot of different levels. I know right. it's cheesy as... I know <laughs> it's cheesy as... <laughs> but... The way they're together, but not together, is... That always chokes me up, and really powerful film, Lady Hawk. It's very good, Tova. Right. Uh, I mean, um, the, the other one that I—I I don't think I'll play it now because we're too late on. But the, you know, the, uh, the the one that I started with at the beginning, with you know, with the 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 Dobby dying in uh, Harry Potter, you know. The, uh, oh, yeah. The scene on the the beach there was uh, very moving. Really, you think, you know, you think, well, how can people get that upset? But um, such a, a character that that you did do. Okay, well, look, we're at two and a half hours, guys. So I think I'm going to make an executive decision and um, uh, bring us to a halt at this point. Um, uh, we will be back. We haven't discussed on audio uh, our upcoming topics, but. Uh, uh, once I can drag Ian away from his new 55-inch TV, we'll be able to uh, get some time talking about that. Um, so what I'm going to do is um, just say a very brief thank you to everybody in the room. Uh, thank you to, to Ken and Kobo, to Jeff and Garth, to Cybob for sticking with us as ever all the way to the end. Thank you very much, Cybob. We do appreciate you. We don't forget uh, that you're there and supporting us. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Perry G, Rick Wall, and uh, all the others that came in, Mike and so on. Yeah? Right. I, 
I thought that was a comment coming in. I, I'm, I'm going to play the outro now, guys. So thanks ever so much. And uh, we'll be back with something just as enjoyable and maybe not so tearful next week. Bye for now. From me and Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.